Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to our Bible Questions podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a very important subject, and that is divorce. And Jeff, you know, since probably the 1950s, in the United States at least, we have seen the divorce rate climb and climb. And then interestingly enough, it's actually dipped the last few years because more people are living together, not because fewer people are necessarily getting divorces. But anyhow, pretty broad subject, a lot for us to cover. So we're going to try and cover the really important principles from God's word. And then we're going to ask folks to please continue to study that. Right. Yeah, it is a very um, complex and a very controversial subject. In fact, at the Bible Questions website, we continue to get lots of questions, you know, related to divorce or marriage or people having, you know, spousal problems or those kinds of related topics. Uh, and we do spend, you know, quite a bit of time with people, you know, answering their questions and trying to guide them to the truth, you know, according to what the scriptures have. So, yeah, indeed, it'll be a very interesting topic. And in many ways, we'll just be kind of scratching the surface. The other thing I might want to mention is we have a special guest with us today, uh, our preacher, Alan Hitchin, uh, who will be you know, bringing uh, his perspectives and you know, experiences uh, on this very uh, critical topic uh, to the discussion today. So uh, welcome, Alan. Well, it's really good to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to address this, as you say, very complicated subject. So marriage is much more complicated than people really understand without looking at the scriptures. And unfortunately, as cultures shift in their thinking, sometimes they are in alignment with what God has to say, and sometimes they're not in alignment. And back in the 1950s, America was very much in alignment with what the scriptures taught. People married, they stayed married for their entire life, and there was very few divorces. And Divorce actually in the 1950s was kind of looked down upon. I remember as a as a child, this would have been in the early uh, 60s, uh, we had a divorcee on the block, and and there was just a, a slight stigma to it. And of course, starting in the 60s, people began to change their view of marriage. Instead of viewing it as God reveals it as a permanent uh, relationship where uh, the feelings and thoughts of the two individuals were not the main uh, factor, but what God actually taught, which is, I have joined you together. Uh, but starting in the 60s, we started to get a clash. A clash. Jesus talked about not everyone who uh, calls me Lord, but only those who do my Father's will. And the will of God on marriage is that I have joined you together. I expect you to respect that. I expect you to place that as the highest priority. And But unfortunately, starting in the 60s, man just started seeing it as a casual relationship with a piece of paper and began to teach that, or began to at least to believe that the relationship was really the key to being married. And if the relationship was failing, then we simply uh, tear up the piece of paper. And unfortunately, marriage is a little more uh, permanent and a little more complicated than simply a relationship or a decision that we're going to uh, come together. And, 
God made that as clear as he could in the first chapter or in the first few chapters of the Bible. Uh, of course, Genesis chapter 1 is a uh, overview of the creation. But chapter 2 deals with Adam and at the end of the chapter, the creation of Eve. And so when God created marriage, he created it by taking a rib out of Adam's side and placing that rib within Eve to manifest that they were now one flesh, that God had joined together in an amazing way. And Jesus is going to refer back to this account, and he's going to reveal what God's will is on marriage. And so when we, when we think of marriage, we have to think of marriage as God reveals it in the scriptures if we're going to be a true disciple of Jesus and not on how our culture looks at that. Well, and to your point, I think, as you said, not only the culture to the 50s, um, but also the laws. As I recall, the uh, situation at the time was you had to give you know, justification, you had to go before the courts, there had to be a legitimate reason, etc., um, and certainly over time, we've seen that initially be relaxed and now, you know, mostly totally out the window in terms of, you know, no fault force. And as you said, you know, a lot of people just decide to, you know, just go their separate ways, you know, irreconcilable differences or whatever the case might be. Right. But as you're pointing out, you know, and from a biblical perspective, from the very beginning, it was not so, so to speak. Well, and, and that's right. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, I guess I'd say, from the Christian perspective, uh, the fact that our nation was built on what we call the Judeo-Christian ethics, in other words, the, the initial laws of our country were based on the scriptural principles that are revealed in the scriptures. And so marriage and divorce were viewed nearly exactly the way that God revealed it and the way that Jesus revealed it. And so when we were... Uh, teaching people the gospel, we didn't even have to deal with that because they already believed that. But because of the shift in the culture away from those principles, now people are doing things that Jesus actually states violates God's will. And the remedy for that violation is very severe, so severe that some people are actually uh, shocked and, and make the decision not to even become a disciple because of the divergence between what the culture teaches and what the scriptures teach. It's just a shocking thing. It, it used to be white to white. Now it's almost black on white. And so the, the sad reality is, is that what God reveals in the scriptures about marriage is so different from what our culture thinks of marriage that the damage that can be done is, uh, is just catastrophic. Uh, when somebody realizes what the scriptures actually teach about marriage and they have not submitted to that and the remedy uh, that Jesus is going to reveal is going to be pretty pretty hard for some people to swallow. Well, and I think as, as a result of that, we see all kinds of, I don't know if I want to say alternate ways of viewing what the Bible says. And, and I don't mean alternate correct ways. I mean, just all different kinds of I don't know if I want to use the word loopholes or rationalizations or whatever to somehow say, oh, that's okay, everything's all right. You can, you know, it doesn't matter what you did in the past. 
everything is fine, God will accept it, and you can you know, continue doing what you're doing with you know, no consequences. And as I think we may get into it you know, a little bit later on, that's certainly not the case. No, that's, that's, that's true. So going back to Genesis, when Adam realized what had happened, that the rib had been taken from his side, that the woman had been created to help him, and of course by creating her to help him, he was also creating her so that he could help her. So there is a very powerful uh, lesson here. There's a very important lesson here that Adam saw. Adam realized and stated in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now, why did God do that? God created all of the animals out of the dust of the earth, but when he created Eve, he created her from a rib of Adam, and Adam recognized she's now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So what we have to understand about marriage is that God does something as powerful to each of us when we get married as he did to Adam. The reason we have to conclude that is because in verse 24, it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And that word for joining is a very powerful concept in both the Eng- in both the Greek and in the Hebrew language. This joining is a cleaving, it is a gluing, it is a, a yoking together, and it it emphasizes permanency. They become one flesh. This is not a relationship of convenience. It's not a relationship of enjoyment. It's not a relationship where we decide to marry because we like to be around each other and we decide to divorce because we no longer like each other. That's that's not what God created marriage to be. And unfortunately, when we don't see it, you know, in, in 1 John 2, uh, he tells us that uh, the ways of man, love not the world, the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world is not of the Father. And the world is passing away. So when the world shifts its view on marriage to a matter of relationship only, uh, that's something that John talked about, that we can't do that. We cannot shift away from God's will. So, uh, so, so the basis of understanding the significance of a divorce is going to be based on the understanding of the significance of marriage. I mean, if we come from the, the, the concept of divorce based on marriage is just a relationship, and when we're done with a relationship, we, we move on. Uh, but when we look at what God says about marriage, uh, that philosophy and that reasoning is completely fallacious. It's wrong as it could be. And this is how it used to be. We knew when we got married it was for life and that we were not going to allow anything to drive a wedge between us because this is permanent. And so if I get to where I don't enjoy being around my wife as much, I don't let that fester. I go to her. I talk to her. I deal with it because we know we can't get out of this relationship. We have to fix it. And unfortunately, because of the shift in the culture, people no longer see it that way. And so they don't try as hard. And that is what sets up the divorce. But when we look at passages, and I want to go to Malachi and and take a look at that in Malachi chapter 2. So in Malachi chapter 2, Uh, verses 13 through 16, and and you can look this up later. I'm not going to read it all now, but God calls divorce violence and treachery. And he says, I hate divorce. I 
hate it. And he, he calls the, the wife the wife by covenant. In other words, this is a covenant relationship. This is a one man, one woman for life relationship. And divorce is not really an option. Now, Jesus gave us one option, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But uh, the relationship between a husband and wife is a covenant relationship. And when you try to tear it, uh, like I say, if we're one flesh and we tear it, then we're going to have a situation where, uh, as God calls it, violence. He calls it treachery. And he says, take heed to your spirit, because God's not going to accept our worship if we tear this relationship for no valid reason. And so it, it becomes something of a much more significant nature when God says, I hate divorce. When God says divorce is like murder. Murder puts a mark on us, a mark of violence, and, and the blood is crying out. And in this case, God simply says that uh, uh, you have dealt, dealt treacherously by divorcing her, and it covers your garment with violence, and I hate it. And uh, so take heed to your spirit. Don't deal treacherously. So God's perspective of divorce, like I say, is very, very different than ours. I appreciate you bringing up, Alan, the really God's thoughts regarding making a marriage work. And as you kind of touched on, you know, that we saw in the 60s, people treating it like a relationship. I think also I've seen a trend where, you know, if the person is verbally abusive or they, you know, they quote unquote, just don't get along. We've tried to make it work. God expects us to find a way to make it work. And it can if both parties are interested in doing what God's word's teaching. Uh, what I find is if you have one or both parties that are not trying to resolve it based on God's intent, then they'll just cast it away as if it's not that important. Right. And of course, this is something that uh, if we're wise, we're going to teach our children. You know, if I'm going to sign a contract for a piece of gum and I'm going to pay a penny or a dollar or a nickel for this pack of gum, and I don't have to give that much thought because it doesn't cost very much. But if I'm going to sign a contract for a house that's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, I have to sit down and count the cost to make sure I can. I don't want to lose that house. I don't want to damage my credit rating. And I have to think it through. Well, when it comes to marriage, if you just see a marriage as if it doesn't work out, we'll just find somebody else. You're not going to try hard and you're not going to be as selective and careful about who you pick. And if you're not selective and careful, if you don't take the time to get to know these people, if you don't sit down and think about the points of differences and how large they might become as the relationship uh, grows and develops, and suddenly we find ourselves with, with someone that we're not compatible with. Well, the time to think about that is before you get into the relationship. Once you're in the relationship, uh, as I say, when you, when you make that vow, uh, and even if you don't give a vow, she's still your wife by covenant or your husband by covenant because that's what God does when you decide to make a marriage. So all over the world, every time someone gets married, they become one flesh. God joins them together and he sees them as one. And if we decide, well, this isn't working out. And so we decide to separate. Well, if God doesn't 
join with you in that. If God doesn't decide, well, I'm going to sever this bond, then, as Jesus is going to point out, man can't break it himself. Man cannot separate that bond. Yeah, I think what what some people fall into the trap of is thinking, as you said, not only is it about a relationship, but it's our decision, our consent, you know, mutual consent. There's only really two parties involved. But, but as we're trying to point out here, and as you can read further back in Malachi chapter two, really there's three parties. Not only the the uh, husband and the wife, but also God is it you know a direct a direct relationship there involved in that uh, relationship. Yeah, no, that's right, and. Uh... You know, you could look at a parallel. Uh, God joins my spirit to my body at my birth, or actually at my conception. And we can't separate that. And if that is separated, then it becomes a murder. It's not something that man can say, I don't want your spirit in your body anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you to death. That's not an option. That's why abortion would be wrong as well. We do not have the right to separate a spirit the man's spirit from his body by any violent act. And the same thing is true with a relationship in a marriage. God joins these people together. We become one flesh, just like when we're born, our body and our spirit are, are intimately joined together. And now that same intimacy has been create, created in, in the marriage. And it just can't be casually... Uh, casually set aside or casually separated it, it's just touch it's such a fundamental part of the creation as i say marriage was the final act of creation before that marriage was created god said it's not good it's not good for man to be alone but he didn't bring eve to adam and say now would you like to have her or not he made her one with him and there was no option for separation and so we have this intimate tie, this, this, this uh, absolute tie in a marriage relationship. And just because people are ignorant of that, just because they don't understand, that's like abortion. You know, a lot of women have had an abortion not realizing what they did. And then later, when they become a Christian, they understand the terrible choice that that was. But the world has shifted so much, people can't see that anymore. And until they see the whole picture of the spirit within the body of that infant from the moment of conception on, uh, it, it makes a huge difference. And I think that's also true with marriage. Once we understand the vital and, and critical nature of this marriage relationship, we won't feel comfortable setting it aside so easily. <clears throat> All right, so that, that, that pretty well gives us the foundation because when we come to Jesus' words, if we don't understand the foundation of Genesis and we don't understand the foundation of God hating divorce and God wanting uh, us to understand that it's a violent act of treachery and that it is completely uh, contrary and foreign and alien to God's will in any degree, and so when, when Jesus is asked this, the question, you know, and, and we could have started our lesson with this, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? That was the question that Jesus was answered. And so if Jesus were here today, he wouldn't be saying anything different. 
And so if we if we love Jesus and we respect Jesus and we want to be a disciple of Jesus and we want him to be our Savior and our Lord, you know, it always rings in my ear whenever I say Jesus is my Lord. Uh, Luke 6:46. Why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? And so it's very uh, uh, important to realize you just can't set something aside. So Jesus has asked this question: Is it lawful for a man to put his way his wife for every cause? And he answered. And he said, he, he took us right where I did in the very beginning of this uh, podcast. He, he took us to Genesis chapter 1, or chapter 2. And he said, he asked them a question, haven't you ever read? He who made them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, uh, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. It's interesting that Jesus refers Adam's words back to God. Adam said these words, but they must have been inspired words because it says, he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said uh, that a man shall be cleaving to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So this cleaving that Adam referred to now is directly placed in the mouth of God and now Jesus is affirming that this is what you have to understand about a marriage. A marriage is not a decision that man makes and man can set aside for any cause. The reality is, once you make the decision to marry, God enters the picture. And God joins these people together. And again, this particular word for join is kind of like yoking or it's kind of like gluing together. And God has yoked and God has glued together and they've become one. And so, verse 6, uh, Jesus says, Matthew 19, verse 6, they are no more two but one. Now, that was not just Adam and Eve. The reason God did that was illustrative. He did it as an illustration so that we would understand that when we get married, we are in the same binding relationship as Adam and Eve were. They became one flesh. We become one flesh. Now, Paul will say in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, this is a great mystery. In other words, this isn't something that can easily be explained. It's not something that can be easily understood. There's much more complicated issues here that we won't really understand until after this life is over and God explains to us, now this is what really happened. And so there are no more two but one. And then Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man separate or let not man put asunder. So you can't cut it in half. You can't just break it for any reason. And so Jesus is very clear there. I find it interesting that that was Jesus's answer and that was the end of it, right? At least from Jesus's perspective, they asked him a question. He gave the answer. That was the end of it. They didn't necessarily, I guess you could say they weren't satisfied with that answer because then they go to verse seven and ask him a second question. But I do think it's relevant in that, to your point, he's really saying what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So in other words, don't get a divorce was his answer, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, you can't see it so much in English, but this is in the, the imperative mode in the Greek language. And that means this is a command. This is a direct command from Jesus. Jesus was asked a question. His answer is what God joins together Command, let no man put asunder. So 
this is this is the normal view of marriage and we need to teach this to our children and we need to understand it ourselves you can't get a divorce for just any reason as a matter of fact the lord would prefer that we never divorce and so uh verse 7 they the the it's not really a quibble they have an honest question this is a good question why did moses command to give a bill of divorcement and of course jesus answer is it's not because that's what god wanted god made his will clear in matthew 19 but man there are some people who are so hard-hearted that a, a, a marriage has to be something that uh, is beneficial for both part both parties and he said what moses was really getting at in verse 9 is that you cannot put away your wife except for fornication or except for sexual immorality. There is something so powerful about the sexual relationship of a husband and wife that when another party gets involved with that, then that can break the bond. That is something God says, now if this happens, I will give you the right to put away your guilty uh, spouse for committing this act of treachery because adultery is as much an act of treachery as divorce is. And it's a a violation uh, so severe. And again, this is something Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. People don't understand. They see fornication as, as drinking a cup of coffee with someone. They see fornication or having a sexual relationship with someone, like giving them a kiss or like giving them some other uh, just normal activity. But Paul says every sin that a man commits is without the body, but, the, but he who commits fornication is sinning against his own body. Now, I don't fully understand that. I can't, I can't really say that I can fully explain it, but I know that what it's teaching is is that the act of fornication is very different from any other sin. And it is so different that Jesus says, if that has occurred, I will give you the right to a divorce. If it hasn't occurred, or if you are not the party who is still innocent, then you can't, in other words, the adulterous person can't divorce their innocent spouse. It has to be the other way around. So whoever puts away his wife, except for the cause of fornication. So if we go back to verse 3, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And Jesus says now in verse, uh, uh, verse 9, no, there's only one cause. There's only one legitimate cause for, for the act of divorce to be approved by God and acted on by God. And so whoever puts away his wife for any other reason is still bound. And and that's why Jesus said, if they marry someone else, they're going to be committing adultery because they are not divorced. Now they have a piece of paper, but they don't have God's approval. And a piece of paper with God's approval would be similar if I have a loan with a bank and I write my own paper and say, this is paid in full, and I bring it to the bank with my signature on it, and they're just going to look at me, and they're going to say, what are you doing? You can't do this. We don't approve of this. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. I can get a piece of paper that says I'm divorced, and I can stamp it, and I can bring it to the government, and the government can stamp it. doesn't matter. 
It's just like that loan. The, the person that I'm responsible toward is God, not to civil government and not to my own, my own feelings. It's, it's God. And so Jesus is just very, very clear here that the only grounds for divorce, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, is the act of sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, whatever you want to call it. That's what Jesus says is the only legitimate cause for a divorce. And this is shocking to people. As I say, the first time people read this, they're just absolutely overwhelmed, as the disciples were. You look at verse 10, the disciples were shocked at this answer. And they said, because their culture was similar to ours, they said, if that's true, it would be better never to marry. And then Jesus makes the point that there's only a certain select group of people who are, who are going to accept what he says here. And those are the people who love the kingdom of God more than their own lives. And if they come into the uh, knowledge of the gospel and they find themselves in this situation, Jesus said, those people will make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And so if you love Jesus more than life, and you find yourself in the situation that he's describing here, even though the disciples are incredulous, Jesus just says, you know, there's only one group of people who are going to accept this, those who love the kingdom of God more than their own lives. And so this passage is it's harsh, but it's only harsh to a culture that has set it aside. And unfortunately, as I say, when you go to the bank and you, you get a loan, that loan is a contract. It's a covenant. And you can't just go in and say, I'm not going to pay it anymore. There are certain things that have to be done, and the same thing is true here. Oh, and I like the uh, parallel that you drew with you know, casual attitudes about divorce, casual attitudes about you know sexual fidelity, casual attitudes about fornication, etc. Earlier, you were talking about the shift in our culture, you know, back in the '60s. And I remember discussions about, you know, the sexual revolution. And so not only making it easier to get divorced, but lowering the perspective of the wrongness of adultery and fornication. And now, you know, it's having an affair. It's living together. It's having a significant other, et cetera. So we've, you know, those kind of go hand in hand. The other point I'll make, you know, just real quick is I also find it interesting that, you know, the, the same God who in Malachi says he hates divorce had to go through the same process, uh, spiritually speaking, figuratively speaking, uh, Jeremiah chapter three, uh, verse eight, where it says, you know, I had to divorce, you know, faithless Israel because of her adultery. Of course, we're talking, you know, spiritual adultery and them worshiping, you know, idols and such, and that her treacherous, you know, sister Judah had no fear. And, you know, she went off and, you know, did the same thing. So, yeah, the, the same God who hates divorce found it necessary to, you know, spiritually divorce you know, his, uh, his chosen people, at least, the, at least the northern kingdom of Israel, which was probably an extremely, you know, painful aspect, which, you know, divorce is, is typically a horrible kind of thing. But it is uh, a reason. It is the reason that uh, Jesus permits. That's right. And, of course, Paul really was very powerful on this and and the passage in 1 Corinthians, where, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians, where he said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, 
that each one of you know how to possess his vessel or his body in sanctification and honor, not like the Gentiles in the passion of lust. And so, you know, you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating his blood because it was the will of God that he be crucified. And he finally said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so we're kind of faced with the same problem here. If, if I become a Christian, is God's will strong enough and important enough to me that I'm going to do what Paul said here? The will of God is my sanctification. Well, the only way I can be sanctified is to have a wife or a husband that God has joined me to. Jesus makes it very clear here in Matthew 19 that if I marry, but I did not have a, a, an acceptable divorce in the eyes of God, he did not loose the bond, and I'm in adultery, so I'm not in sanctification and honor. And what's the will of God? Well, the will of God is going to be, I'm going to have to become a eunuch. Is that painful? Yeah. Is it tragic? It's absolutely tragic. My heart goes out to people like that. But I didn't write this. It's, it's not my words. Jesus is who said this, and as a servant of Jesus, I can't change what he said. I can only teach what he said. And people who hear this and are crushed, just crushed down with the horrible burden of what that's going to mean for the rest of their lives. And like Jesus said, not everybody's going to be able to accept that. But only those who, as Jesus had already pointed out, who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If that's our first priority, then all other relationships are going to have to be secondary. And I, I've met people, I know that there, there are people in the world today who have found themselves after they become a Christian in this situation and have made that choice. And I don't have any option. That's what Jesus said had to be done. And so it's a, it's a terrible thing because of what our culture has done. It's put gospel preachers and Christians into a position where they have to be bearers of terrible news, tragic news. But it's still the truth. And it's just like the doctor that has to come and tell a patient, look, your body's been invaded by cancer, and there's nothing we can do. Your spirit is going to be separated from your body. And there's, it's a tragic sentence. It, it's not their fault. It's just the truth. And yet, it's a horrible thing. And the same thing is true in this particular situation. Because of the casual way that man has changed his view on marriage, many people have put themselves in this tragic situation where the treachery is already there. And then, now what do I do about it? And, of course, repentance is going to require something. If I've stolen a bicycle and I become a Christian and suddenly someone preaches a sermon on stealing and and the, the responsibility to make restitution, I'm going to have to take that bicycle back. And so when I become a Christian and I find out that my marriage was not properly terminated and therefore still valid, baptism's not going to remove that any more than it's going to remove my uh, stealing a bicycle or stealing something else from someone or lying about someone or any other terrible thing I've done in the past. I, I have to fix that. Yeah, with the questions we get to the website, uh, once in a while, we'll get this kind of a heart-rending story where, you know, a person was in some kind of a, a, you know, legitimate marriage that was just terrible, horrible, abusive, etc. They got a divorce, not based on the basis we've been uh, talking about here. 
and later, you know, they meet this wonderful person and they become a Christian and they've got children and everything is wonderful until they hit Matthew 19. Not only do we get a lot of questions, but there are a lot of real scenarios in life where someone did not know Matthew 19's requirement. Someone, as you said, Jeff, was in an abusive relationship. So often, and we've all probably had conversations with people who say, well, I understand what it says. However, my situation is unique. And so therefore, and would you agree, Alan, that all we can do is come back to this very specific requirement and say there are difficult consequences at time to apply this law, but nonetheless, we have to abide by what it says. We cannot just introduce exceptions because we feel like it's an exception to the rule, so to speak. No, that's right. And, and of course, Jesus is the good physician, and Jesus has taught the spiritual, the way back to spiritual health. And the same thing is true, you know, we, we take a doctor. Let, let's say that a doctor uh, is dealing with a patient who has been smoking uh, tobacco for many, many years. And he tells the person, if you had stopped doing this uh, 20 years ago, you probably wouldn't have cancer today. But you didn't meet me then. I didn't have the opportunity to explain this to you. Now you're going to lose your life. And the same thing is true with this particular subject. Uh, it's a situation where if we, if we have a, an act of divorce and if you'd met someone and they had told you, you just can't do this, this is not part of what God reveals, then it would have been much easier to fix at that point in their life. But now that's all done. And now we have to face the reality and the consequences of what's here. And Paul dealt with this. I mean, if we were to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he makes it very clear there, to the married I command, not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So there's two options that we can give to people in this situation. Uh, they either become unmarried or they can be reconciled to their, uh, their original spouse uh, if that spouse would be interested, which is usually not an option, but sometimes it is. But those are the only two options that a faithful Christian can give to someone. I mean, we'd like to rewrite the Bible. There's times when I'd like to just say, you know something, I'd like to change that scripture. But that's, a ch that's the challenge. God has a will, and that will has been for all eternity. And it was very clearly expressed in Genesis chapter 2. This is my will. This is how it is. And if I violate that, how do I fix it? Well, there's only one way to fix it. We have to repent and do the will of God. And Jesus said the will of God in this case is, uh, through Paul, either remain unmarried or be reconciled. But in uh, Matthew 19, he simply says, you cannot do this. This is not an option for any human being. It is not an option to just get a divorce. It will result in adultery every time unless the grounds of fornication have been uh, have been fulfilled and uh, again pain you know agony i mean there's there's nothing closer this is a very special relationship that's the point god made in genesis chapter 2 and when i'm in a new relationship with someone if i have to sever that with children and everything else it's going to be agonizing but 
as I say, in spite of how much I wish that wasn't true, just like the doctor would say, I wish it wasn't true that you have terminal cancer, but it is true. And we have to do what we have to do in order to, to deal with it. And the same thing is true in this situation. Yeah, I know some people sense a degree of, uh, I'll say, tension between what Jesus said, no, don't do it, and what Paul says here. Yeah, yeah, don't do it. But if you do, as if Paul were giving another poll, if you will, that yeah, you can go ahead and divorce if it's a bad situation. Just don't marry anybody else. But I think, as you commented, that's that's not really what Paul's saying. No, that uh, is that this First Corinthians seven is a very complicated. Uh, passage. First of all, because Paul said, I'm answering your questions. And we didn't get the questions. So Paul is answering questions that we don't have. And secondly, there's a great distress coming. And so everything in 1 Corinthians 7 has to be interpreted based on those two, those two things. And so when Paul says a wife is not to depart from her husband, he's quoting, he, well, he's not quoting, but he's referring back to, because he says, not, not I, but the Lord. Well, the Lord only deals with this in Matthew 19 and Mark, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 5. And then, of course, Mark and Luke describe the same event from different perspectives. But those are the only two things Jesus had to say about divorce. But there's going to be situations, and we all understand that uh, sometimes a wife is married to someone who's going to sexually abuse the children, or a wife is going to be married to someone who is uh, involved in uh, acts of murder, and her life is in danger. And we agonize over that. And of course, where that line is, I don't know. I don't know exactly where the line is. I know that under all circumstances, the goal is to keep that marriage intact. But there are situations where it's not just a matter of convenience, it's a matter of life and death. And when those situations arise, we have to allow the individual the option here. But this is not just a, well, I'm not getting along with my wife, and so uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to get a divorce. That, that's not what this is dealing with. As I say, we don't have the questions that Paul is being asked here. And I suspect he's being asked something like that. Uh, if my husband is abusive and I'm afraid he's going to hurt the children, what should I do? Well, remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. So, yeah, divorce is a very, it's an act of treachery, it's an act of violence, and there are no simple uh, solutions here. But at the same time, Paul makes it clear that there are going to be situations and I'm not sure that divorce is the right word. I think we have a separation. In other words, the wife feels that she is uh, in danger or her children are in danger. Uh, we are given the opportunity here to say, well, we don't have to force you to go back, but you can't remarry. So that's how I'm looking at this passage. Uh, it's, it's a very complicated passage, but it certainly doesn't undo anything that Jesus has already said. It's not the grounds for a divorce that allows people to remarry, but it is the grounds for an opportunity to get out of that dangerous situation or situation that is uh, uh, something that is extraordinary.
Yeah, and Alan, appreciate you mentioning the complexities because there are many complexities with marriage and, and divorce. We do, as you can imagine, get a lot of questions to the website about this subject. And so Jeff and I want to ask you just a couple of questions that, that have been submitted to get your thoughts. First one is, if my spouse committed adultery and I divorced them, and we both remain single, and after some years have gone by, can we marry each other again? What are, you, uh, what are your thoughts regarding that? Well, I would refer back to what Paul said, let her remain unmarried. Well, that's certainly been, been fulfilled or be reconciled to her husband. So there can be a reconciliation because they are still married. As I say, God does not break that bond unless two things happen. First, adultery has to be committed. And second, the innocent person must choose to exercise the right to divorce. If the adultery never occurs, there can't be a divorce. If adultery does occur, but the innocent spouse says, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to keep this marriage intact, well, then that act of adultery is no longer a valid reason for divorce. So if those two things are not there, the adultery is not there, and the decision of the husband or wife that is innocent to to cause God to break that bond, then uh, then the wife and husband are bound together for life. And so Paul just makes the point. And so the answer to the question, the short answer is, is if they've been re if they've remained unmarried and now they have the opportunity or desire to reconcile, which they should want to do, that's part of being a Christian, is to be forgiving and to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance, which means to forgive and get back into that relationship and that covenant relationship that you promised and get rid of this violence and treachery that's going on here. Uh, so, yeah, that would be my advice to any couple who have decided to be separated. And, of course, whether they're unmarried or not, their options are. This is, this is where we have to take anyone who's been divorced for any other cause but adultery. We have to take them here. Remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. Yeah, this is another good example of where civil law and the Lord's law may differ. So as you mentioned early on in the podcast, some feel like if a civil court processes or accepts a divorce and issues a divorce decree, that may not necessarily mean that they are divorced or separated in God's eyes. The marriage bond is still there. Yeah, and that's exactly what the Pharisees were coming to Jesus with. Is it lawful divorce for any cause? Now, they were expecting him to answer. Actually, if you look closely at the context, they were testing him here. They were hoping that he would give an answer that they could use to hurt him. And so they felt that he would not answer. They probably already heard the Sermon on the Mount where, or heard about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has already expressed himself on this. And so their question is our culture teaches that we can divorce for any reason and just write a certificate of divorce. What do you think? Is that lawful? And his answer is, no, that is not lawful because God, because marriage is more than what you think it is. And therefore, if you want God to act, and he has to act, he's the one who acted to put the marriage together. And unless he acts, that marriage remains together. And I'm going to tell you right here, Jesus said, that the only way that God is going to act 
is if you divorce for the cause of fornication. If you don't divorce for the cause of fornication, even if fornication has been a, has been committed, that doesn't break the bond. The bond is only going to be broken when the decision is made by the innocent party that he, and I, by innocent party, I mean the person who did not commit the adultery. The person who did not commit adultery is, has the right to divorce the person who did commit adultery, but if they choose not to exercise that right, then God won't violate the bond. It won't be broken just because of an act of adultery. A decision on the part of the innocent person has to be made. And so uh, the wife can't depart if there's no adultery. But if she did depart for whatever reason that she thought was justifiable, the only solution that the church could offer her and that, the, that God offers her is remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. So, uh, like I said, our hands are tied. You know, we, we don't, I often don't like, I mean, just like a doctor, I don't want to be a bearer of bad news. I wish they didn't have this diagnosis. I wish they weren't in this situation. But my feelings of not wishing they were in the situation doesn't change the fact that they're in that situation. And the only thing I have the right to do is teach them, tell them the truth. You know, love for the truth. That has to be the highest priority for any Christian. And God's word is truth. And so what God has said about marriage is truth. And even if we've never heard it before, it doesn't change a thing. And of course, in our culture, many have not heard it before. But we don't have any options but to bring them to this passage. Do you agree that if the, you know, if she does depart, and as you mentioned, that could be for any reason, that she could still be in sin. If she departs that marriage for an unlawful reason, we're not saying that she's innocent. She is very much guilty and would need to repent of that sin and then remain unmarried or be reconciled, right? Well, absolutely. That's what God taught in Malachi. In Malachi, he said, divorce, and, and you know, we, we talk about the law being done away, and, and of course the law was done away, but what God said in that passage has nothing to do. As Jesus said, we're going to go back to the beginning. And any divorce is an act of treachery. It is an act of violence. It is an act that creates uh, a circumstance where God looks down upon me and he says, take heed to your spirit because I won't accept your offerings anymore. I won't accept your worship if you put yourself in a situation like that. Just like Jesus said, if you have ought against your brother, first be reconciled, then go offer your gift. Well, does that not apply to husbands and wives? Of course it does. So if I have the opportunity to be reconciled, I need to buy it up. And I need to teach people. I always, whenever I preach, I'm preaching, we need to be at peace with all men. And as much as in we in, in us lies, we will be at peace with all men. And so if uh, we have a situation where a wife has left her husband for some selfish reason or for some flippant reason, uh, that's not what Paul's dealing with here. Like I said, we don't know the questions that they asked. But I think knowing everything we do about the scriptures, the question must have been a very severe one. It must have been a situation where, uh, as I say, violence or, or sexual uh, activity, some, something's going on in this situation for Paul to say this, but we don't know what it is. So we have to be very careful here. I mean, you can turn this into a passage. And, of course, 
Peter says that about Paul's writings. He says, some things Paul has written are hard to be understood, which the ignorant and unsteadfast twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So when we take everything in the scriptures on marriage and divorce, and we overlay all of that teaching on this passage, uh, we see that it's a very limited, a very limited uh, uh, description of what Paul is talking about here when she says, if she does depart. Earlier, we were talking about people, you know, searching for, you know, loopholes. One of the loopholes that, that I've heard is that, well, you know, Jesus as a Jew talking to Pharisees as Jews about the law of Moses is merely, you know, clarifying what what Judaism would say about this. And, and hence, therefore, it's not applicable to us today. As I think you've tried to repeatedly point it out. It takes them all the way back to the beginning, it makes it timeless. Yes, this is this has nothing to do with Jesus being a Jew under the Jewish system, because Jesus made it very clear that this is something that goes back to the beginning. And when they brought Jesus to Moses' law, he said, yes, that's what Moses said. But I'm saying now that this is what was involved. I don't think there's a conflict between Jesus and Moses here. I think what Jesus is doing there is he's bringing back the scriptures to where they should have been. He's dealing with a false interpretation on the part of the Pharisees regarding what Moses had to say about marriage. He's not He's not saying this is going to be true until the law is done away. It's always been true. And, you know, that brings us to the... Uh, last point that I wanted to make in our our discussion this morning, and and that's found in the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have what most people call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus doesn't call it that. It's just that's where he was when he did it. But at the end of this particular series of statements, which starts in Matthew 5, Actually, chapter, the end of chapter 4, when it says he went up on the mountain and he began to teach his disciples. Then, in Matthew chapter 8, it says he went down from the mountain. So, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus concludes it with, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Now, the whoever is going to be those people, whether they're in that time frame, which is under the law of Moses, or whether they are uh, under Christ's time frame, which is the last days, the Christian dispensation, as we call it, these sayings of his have to be applied. And he says, if you hear them and do them, you're a wise man building your house on the rock. If you hear them and you don't do them, you're like a fool who is uh, building his house on the sand. Now, as I said, if Paul had not referred back to Jesus' words on marriage and divorce, then maybe we could make a quibble here and we could say, well, this doesn't really apply to Christians. But with Paul stamping what Jesus said in Matthew 19 and what Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 5, we, we don't have any options as God's people but to accept them. So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, uh, and, and this follows, uh, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, whoever is, uh, murders will be 
guilty. And But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother. Then he moves to, you have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say, uh, whoever looks at a woman to lust is committing adultery. Now, we know that those are timeless. We know that those have nothing to do with the law of Moses or the law of Christ or any law. They're simply timeless principles of right and wrong that moved from the mosaic dispensation, or excuse me, from the patriarchal dispensation. Job lived under the patriarchal dispensation. He said in chapter uh, 30 and 31 of his book, if I should look at a woman to lust after her, that would be a grievous sin. And of course, in the law of Moses, it's also explained that we should not covet our neighbor's wife. And here we have uh, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Well, that's what's been said. But Jesus, and, and that's what the Pharisees were saying. But Jesus says in verse 32, but I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, that's about as clear and forceful and obvious as any passage in the scriptures. And Jesus said at the end of this sermon, if you hear these words and do them, you're like a wise man. If you hear these words and don't do them, you're like a fool. So again, there are many complicated things about marriage and divorce. But there are two things that are fixed, and Paul said it and Jesus said it, and that is that uh, you, unless there's adultery, you either remain unmarried or you be reconciled. There is no option for divorce. Now, do I like that? No, I don't like that. I, I grew up in this culture, and I feel uh, similar to this to this disciple sometimes. If that's how it is, it would have been better for that person never to have gotten married. Well, be that as it may, they did get married, and God did join them together, and they tried to separate without adultery, and God did not accept that, and God kept them bound together. And now, if they're in a new relationship, whatever the piece of paper says doesn't matter. Uh, it, it, that's the way it is. Now, does that, you know, I say that with my heart breaking because I know what that means to some people. And I wish that it were different, just like the doctor who has to bring a terrible diagnosis to a patient wishes it was different, but he's not going to lie to the patient. He's not going to uh, tell the patient, you know, just ignore this. We're going, we're rushing toward eternity. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged concerning what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. And clearly, divorce and remarriage without the reason of adultery is going to be judged in a terrible way. And I don't have any, I don't have any right to, 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 to ignore that. I don't have the right to, to tell people uh, good news that is not good news at all. And I don't have the right to twist the scriptures to my destruction or your destruction. All I can do is teach what the scriptures say, even though our culture disagrees with it. You know, in the first century, people were put to death because the culture, the clash between the culture and Christianity was so severe that the people in the worldly culture said, these people don't have a right to live. We don't want to hear what they have to say. And that same philosophy 
is going to be true of a subject like this and a subject like fornication or a subject like homosexuality. The scriptures are clear. Now, the clash in the culture is becoming stronger and stronger, but you know, what do we do? Paul said that all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Well, what does that mean? It means I'm going to tell people the truth. And uh, like I said, this is a, a terrible subject because it's a terrible sin that our culture has embraced as a normal part of life. I think I just might mention when, when Alan says culture, it's not only you know people's attitudes, but now it's enshrined in you know, expectations as well as law. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're definitely kind of seeing a, a major schism, so to speak, between what you know what God says and what culture and law and the government say. And it is a it is a terrible thing, but nonetheless, it is what it is. Yeah. No, that's right. Well, we really appreciate your time, Alan, today. This is a very important subject. And a final comment from me, and then I'll turn it over to Jeff. And that is, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, you had talked about the lack of respect for marriage and, and how we're sort of seeing the results of that over several decades, if you will. And so to me, it's, you know, it's heartbreaking to see that lack of respect for marriage and how for the last several years, as I mentioned at the beginning, also, you know, we're seeing a trend, at least here in the United States, where the rate of divorce is actually dropping because many are choosing to simply live together, you know, so they can have a sort of try before you buy scenario or, you know, just to live together as in a long term relationship that's easy to get out of if it doesn't quote unquote work out. And so to me, that's just another example of the lack of respect and maybe even the lack of understanding because they weren't taught about the sanctity of marriage. No, that's exactly right. And it also creates other complications because our culture recognizes a quote, common law marriage, where if you stay together a certain amount of time, as far as the government's concerned, you're married. And now what? What do we tell people like that? Can they marry or not? I would say there's some doubt here. Again, a lack of respect for marriage creates scenarios with no simple solutions and sometimes very agonizing solutions. And as we said kind of at the beginning and really throughout, it can be a very complex subject. At our website, we've got a very, I would say, a large number of articles looking at these various aspects from the very beginning in terms of D for dating, you know, at our website, uh, F for family, M for marriage, D for divorce, uh, R for remarriage, F for fornication, A for adultery. There's a lot of material there that we would definitely encourage our listeners to further explore um, because of the complexity and because of the uh, eternal consequences of getting it wrong. Absolutely. And so, Alan, before we uh, conclude, any final thoughts? Well, as I say, I, I don't want anyone to hear this podcast and think that we don't have any empathy or sympathy or any realization of how horrible this plight is. And I just want to end the class with that, that there's no happiness in our hearts to have to tell people this. But at the same time, it's the truth. And when you have a truth, you have to explain it to people so that they can take the proper antidote or take the proper steps to resolve the situation. 
Yeah, well stated. And thank you so much, Alan, for joining us and sharing with us what God's word teaches on this important subject. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.